And so, how do you know that you actually belong to a family? How do you know that you actually belong to a community? What assurances do you have that you truly are who you like to be, part of a family, part of a community? So, by God's grace, uh, uh, we went, I went to preach in Rwanda before COVID, quite, quite a few years ago. And after the preaching conference, had time to go to a traditional village. And as we were there, this happened. The first thing comes on, right? So we look thoroughly, totally Rwandan, right? Of course not. So if we went back again, preaching in Rwanda, preaching in Africa, if we spend all our time dressed in their, in their traditional clothing, that itself will not make us Rwandans. That itself will not embrace us into the community of God's of, of the family that's there, which leads you and me to ask very important questions. How do you know you're part of anything? So, newly married uh, wife said this, the family never really accepted her, thought that her qualifications was beneath the average person in their family, the husband's family, because all were quite high achievers academically. But as she entered it, she tried and this was her heartbeat and her cry of just maybe six months to a year into that marriage. And she said to me, oh, Pastor Chris, I try my best. I'm there helping in the kitchen when we go once a week to meet the family. But I try to help out, try to cut things, try to, to wash things, but nobody talks to me. They're at the dinner table when they're talking as if if I contribute, I'm not there. I'm invisible. Then after when we sit and watch something together, they're all talking and I'm not there. What do you think this woman was expressing behind her tears? That she tried so hard to be part of this family, but there was no effort to embrace her. Which leads you and me to ask, all the way from light-hearted clothing to the more painful experiences of belonging or not belonging. There's a huge thing that gives us our identity. If my identity is Rwandan, then my activity is to dress Rwandan, look Rwandan, feel like Rwandan. From my identity comes your activity, comes your security. Which leads us to the next thing. What will assure you that you are truly part of God's family? What is the evidence and the confirmation that you are children of God, not children of the world, not children of the evil one? And John is going to go down that track and explore that with you and I. Remember, as we read in starting, 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, if any one of us does sin, then what? Then we hide. Then we deny. Then we blame. What I've always said is the HDB approach. Hide, deny and blame. Hide, deny and blame. No. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father and the advocate with the Father is none other than Jesus Christ, the righteous. The focus is on Him being the righteous. And what else is He to us? Here is the propitiation for our sins. Now, propitiation is not what we one scholar said, mere forgiveness. Jesus didn't come to merely forgive you, simply forgive you. Propitiation is that He took God's wrath. And how on earth did He quench God's wrath? for us, by the cross. He stood in our place, not just for us only, but also for the sins of the world. So a true understanding of our redemption is not the mere forgiveness of sins, that is part two, 
Part one is how do you satisfy God's holiness and satisfy His wrath? God does not simply forgive you without His holiness and His justice being satisfied. And it's through Jesus, the propitiation for our sins. If, it's John, if the Apostle John is pounding this home, emphasizing this, repeating keywords here, and the keywords are no, sin, Satan, and love. And why do you think he keeps repeating these things? Because he puts them out there as tests to assure us whether we are children of God or presumptuous children of God, which means we are actually children of the devil, thinking that we are children of God. And so John's opponents, their way was they claimed to have special knowledge. And this special knowledge was not given to everyone, the church. It was only given to an elite group and to perceive and to know. And here are the Greek words that appear 25 times, genoskian, and to know edemai, a different word, but same family, because the big thing about this false teachers was the focus on knowledge. That they had this knowledge and you followed them, you came to truly know God, you have true God and true faith, and then true enlightenment. John's opponents was essentially saying, were essentially saying what? They had the deeper truth downloaded directly to them. And in that sense, they had the truer faith. In that sense, in our modern-day English, they were just saying in a nutshell, why, instead of choosing to follow John, the Apostle John, and join his fellowship and his church, why not join ours? Because I don't think John and his message is reliable. And so they were smarter, and hence they were better, and hence they were closer to God. If someone comes along and shows all those qualities, we are smarter and better and we are closer to God. And so they had an air of superiority with this elite knowledge. And from this superiority comes separatism. And so they were now cessationists, people who ceded defectors from John's true church, a breakaway. And John writes to them with the utmost seriousness and by now, He's starting to call them. See, in their mind, they think they are the ones who got it right. In John's mind, he is calling them liars. And so the delusion of John's opponents is that they deny sin, they deceive themselves, and they make God to be a liar, not children of God. And so John's mark of authenticity in chapters 1, by the end of chapter 1, Right? If we confess our sin, He's faithful, God is faithful and just and will forgive us. John's mark of authenticity is not the absence of sin, but our confession of sin. Why? Because we have Jesus and you know nothing about Jesus, you must know this of Him. Jesus is, your, is our advocate. He's our atoning sacrifice. And this is vitally important that we understand we make two grievous mistakes in world history and in church history. We either deny sin or we, drown, we are drowning ourselves in sin. Denial of sin is very obvious. So I want to ask you, right? Over the past week, have you come across the word sin in any newspapers or magazines? Except most of us will use sin in a trivial way. The mocking of sin, the concept of sin, the reality of sin, 
you would not read of the word and hear of the word sin more than in Christian circles. So I was asked a question as the speaker for our Holy Week this year, right? There was Q&A on the Wednesday night. It says, why are we the, why are we so preoccupied with this thing called sin? Because God is preoccupied with sin. The Holy God cannot offer you fellowship without dealing with sin in your life and my life. And His offer was the offer of His Son, the advocate, the atoning sacrifice, the propitiation for sins. So I want to ask you, how seriously do you take sin in your life? The world denies this concept. It denies it altogether. From our sexuality to our sociality, very hard to find the word sin. And you ask yourself, whenever you buy something, right? You buy a car, you buy a house, you buy things, you join a company, why do you have to sign a contract? Because your word is not good enough. And when you sign a contract, do you ever look at the fine print? When you get a credit card, do you ever look at the fine print? Every contract you sign is basically a sin statement. As I sell this to you, as I buy this from you, I don't trust you. So read the fine print. And if you veer from this, we come after you. If you veer from this, we sue you. And ever so often, that happens. We may deny the word sin, you will never be able to suppress the reality of sin. So you either live with the denial of sin or you're drowned in sin altogether. So I was saying both in ARPC and Adam last week, said again at the 9 a.m. service, the Roman Catholic Church ruled the West, Western Europe, for about 1,000 years, from about 580 to 1,580, until God in His sovereignty, His loving sovereignty, Right, rescued and brought about reformers like Martin Luther, John Calvin, Martin Bucer to come and get back to the Bible, preach the gospel and lead people back to Christ. And to know that it's God who is rich in mercy, God who is amazing in His grace, God who is steadfast in His love that has made me a new being, washed me clean. And so for about a thousand years, if you were in Europe, in the 1400s and 1500s before the Reformation, in Switzerland or Germany, you walk into a Roman Catholic church at the time, mainly corrupt. You walk in and you confess to the priest behind a screen. And whatever you confess, he will forgive. Whatever he, you confess, he will take note. And they had a logbook, a logbook given right from the top, right? From, from Rome itself, from the Vatican itself. Right, right from the top. And this logbook is, so this week, I go and confess to the priest that I long for and I envied my neighbor's cow. Right? And he will log it in and say, neighbor's cow, envying of neighbor's cow, 100 years in purgatory. Next week, my envy gets worse. I now go and confess to the Catholic priest, I envy the neighbor's, my neighbor's wife. Mona is not here, I can say that. So, so, and that's the neighbor's cow. My envy of the neighbor's cow is 100 years. The envy of my neighbor's wife is 1,000 years in this place called purgatory. And what on earth is purgatory? It's, a, it's not a biblical concept. It's this make-believe place between earth and heaven, imagined by them, made up by them. And you go to this place, and this is where you have the opportunity to lessen your, 
your years in, in purgatory and you lessen it by paying your way out the sale of indulgences, the reformers came along and said, you don't ever find this concept anywhere. You're saved by grace, not by works. So for a thousand years in corrupt Roman Catholicism up to 1500, right, you had confession of sin. But the more you confess your sin, the more your guilt increased, the more your burden increased, the more you owe the church. Why have confession when there is no saviour? You only ever confess if there's a saviour of your sins. That's the point he's making here, right? So it's very important that we have this. And this confession of sin is obviously towards God. And we may have our own personal version of this. We say, I'll never be like the Roman Catholic Church. And sometimes in our relationship with each other, when we wrong each other in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, in our churches, we do this. Do what? Jesus keeps defending us before God. We just read in the first four verses. But we keep accusing others before God. You have to be very careful if in your heart and your relationships you have become a bigger accuser of your wife, of your husband, of your father, your mother, bigger than Jesus, your advocate. If you end up being a constant accuser in your relationships, guess what? It's the proof you belong not to Jesus. Because whenever God thinks of you, He thinks of you and looks at you through the prism of the cross. Right? So if given this illustration many times, have you been, do you like, how many of you like bakute? Bakute. It's before lunch. Bakute. And there are some good bakutes around and one of them was Founders Bakute in Ballastia. Right? You go to Ballastia Bakute and different shops it become famous. All the stars, the Mediacorp stars, the celebrities, those who come from overseas will go there and whenever they go there, they'll take a photo with the founder of this Bakute. You find him with all the different stars that are there. You know what? If the biblical image is right, if you believe in Jesus, you have a personal shot with Jesus. Isn't that amazing? You also have a collective shot with Jesus. So whenever God thinks of you, He sees Jesus covering you. He doesn't see you in all your sinfulness. He sees you in all your holiness. Because in Hebrews, Jesus is the great high priest. If you go to Him, He will proclaim you holy and blameless. Always. And so it's very important that we get this right. So the first four, first four verses drive this home. That this must be a lifestyle of yours. That you are a confessor of sin and you are a receiver of all that Jesus is doing for you. He's your great high priest. He's your great advocate. So in summary, here are the marks of the children of God in 1 John chapter 2. You confess your sinful nature and confess your sinful actions. You obey His commandments and the ultimate example of obedience to God's commandments willingly and quickly and fully is Jesus. That's where He's going with this. And you love as Jesus commanded because if anything that Jesus commanded, He commanded us to love one another. And this is both an old commandment and a new commandment. Old commandment given to Israel New commandment, when Jesus came, He says, this is the commandment I give to you. By this shall all men know you are my disciples. The other marks of being the children of God. 
is not simply to confess your sinful nature and actions, not simply to obey His commandments, not simply to love as Jesus commanded and as Jesus loved, but it's also not to love the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. So one scholar says, when you think about this, right, you think, how do you think? You think with your minds, right? No. You think with your eyes. Whatever your eyes look upon, you long after. Your eyes are your guiding light. And so you think with your eyes, you decide with your eyes, and whatever I see, I like, I take. I see, I like, I take. Don't have, do not love the world. Don't have the spirit of the Antichrist. And the spirit of Antichrist is, all I'm doing is leaving John's church. That's all we are doing. But John says to him, what you are doing is not merely leaving my fellowship or my church. You are actually sinning against God because you are departing from the true church. And not, you don't need another anointing. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. His main message here is, you started with Jesus, you continue with Jesus, you will end with Jesus. Amen? You started by grace, you continue by grace, you end by grace. You don't start with Jesus, you don't continue with, the, with Mother Mary, and you end up with the Pope. You don't start with Jesus and go into holy laughter and end up with, I do not know, a Holy Spirit that was invented by some, some false teachers. You start with Jesus, you continue with Jesus, you end with Jesus. Keep Jesus the main person of your life. Who else died on the cross for you? Who else died on the cross for you? Which Pope died on the cross for you? Which saint died on the cross for you? Which did Mary die on the cross for you? Could she? Nobody comes between you, the, between you, the sinner, and the holy God. Only Jesus comes between so that he bridges it by his finished work on the cross and resurrection from the dead. And so the test of obedience. Right. And by this we know that we've come to know him. See, the word is no, no, no. It's the most repeated word in this letter besides love. So whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, the proof that you know the true and living God is obedience. Your willingness and your quickness to obey God. That's very important. And the lesson of obedience, God is interested in our obedience. God is not interested in your opinions. Our weakness, our willingness and quickness to make it to be about Jesus, my advocate, my propitiation, the one who defends me before God and not make it to be about us and our wrongs and our hurts and our pains and our harms. So, please, Live this Christian life carefully. You could be here and you could be in the disciple groups or in basic Bible study groups. I don't know, they've got 30, 40 groups under 60 leaders, right? And just because you read the Bible, God's Word, doesn't mean you love the Bible and obey God's Word. Just because you talk about Scripture doesn't mean you treasure Scripture. And don't delude yourself that the talking about the Bible is equal to loving the Bible as God's Word to you. And once you get on that track, that didn't I talk about the Bible yesterday? Yes, you did. You talk about it. But Bible study is very important. Get Bible study right. You are not in the position to study God as an end in itself. 
So last night I caught a snippet of Jordan Peterson has become a huge name debating with one of his arch enemies, right? And each one defending the positions of whether you're atheist or a believer. It's so interesting. Two men and audiences to either support one or the other. This is the only time you can sit here and as it were, voice your views about God, voice your opinions about Jesus with no repercussions. You know what? Jesus will come like a thief in the night. And it won't be your opinion about Him that matters. It will be your obedience to Him that matters. That every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether you bow the knee willingly or whether you bow the knee unwillingly, Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Are you still awake? You better not miss this. I better not miss this. If you sit here and you think you came for another service, you came for another sermon, you heard the Word of God, but you never obeyed the Word of God, you are as deluded as the first listeners. I am as deluded as the first listeners. Whatever God speaks in through His Word by His Spirit and convicts your heart of it, you obey. You don't give an opinion about this. Who are you to give an opinion about God? You think when He comes, He's going to ask you, what do you think of me? How many likes? How many don't like? You think his security is going to be built on how many likes? Right? 50 likes, 50 million don't like. It's whether he loves you, not whether you like him. That's the obedience that matters. And you show that obedience by love. It's vitally important. And that goes on. Love is an old commandment, yet love is a new commandment. Why? Because Jesus commanded it. So whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. We heard the testimony right, at the 9 a.m. service. In the 9 a.m. service, so many of them came from our brothers and sisters keepers, doing ministry to former drug addicts, doing ministry to f- former prisoners. And most of them will come out of prison broken with no one to go home to because their parents are so embarrassed about them. Their wives would have divorced them, deserted them. You come back to what? They come out to what? They come out to a Brian T and a Pastor Jeff who has gone in week after week to share the gospel with them that when you come out, we will be there at Changi Prison to welcome you to the love of God. That's why we offer people, right? So it's not just to preach the gospel, but to live the gospel. is the gospel of love. If no one else loves you, we should love you. We should love you beyond, above and beyond every other group, though you are despised by everybody else. So a few things for us to hold fast to between fake versus true love. How much we love God, John's going to say more and more, is not measured by how much we know God or know about God, but how much we hate sin. You can claim until the cows come home or the sun the, the, you know, turns to moon, whatever your claims are and my claims are, right? how much we love God is not measured by how much we know about Him, but how much we hate sin. So our blindness to lovelessness, sometimes we know so little but we criticise so much, sometimes we know so feebly but we condemn so strongly. Oftentimes we know so partially, but we judge so comprehensively. 
And so for the false teachers who came along, this elite knowledge, this elite subjective knowledge that they claimed that they have was overwhelming the objective eyewitness of John and the apostles of this. They actually know so little, but they judge so comprehensively. Don't follow the apostle John. They are fake apostles and their church is not the true fellowship. Let's just walk out and start a new church. You never simply walk out of a true fellowship. So I said this last week at Adam. Right? There are 86 discipleship groups. Right? There are 300 youths in basic. Our retention rate when our children's church every year, by God's grace, we are graduating about 80 children to 100 children from P6 to Sec 1. By God's grace, the attrition rate is very low. The people who carry on is about 90%, 95%. We praise God for that because not every church has that kind of retention rate. The attrition rate may be very high that as you transit them from P6 to Sec 1, Sec 2, Sec 3, they fall off because the temptations of the world are so great. But sometimes parents will say to us very sincerely and sometimes the youth will say to the parents and the, and the parents will say, my youth say this, they, they find basic really boring, right? Pastor Roger and Pastor Jason, don't tell them they're not here. So, they're real boring. So what do you want me to do as the senior pastor? To send Pastor Roger and Pastor Jason to drama class? Boredom is not a valid reason to leave your Bible study group. Familiarity is not a reason to leave the church. You do not ever leave an authentic fellowship of believers simply because I know it. Simply because the leader is boring. If the leader is boring now, you got for the adults, right? There are 85 other groups. If you live to 85 years old, you will still have another group. Every year you just join one. Lah. But that's the wrong way. Maybe he wants you to really tahan and long suffer with that boring discipleship group leader. Pray for him, right? Hallelujah. I, I, do you still want me to carry on? I don't think so, right? Because these are not easy things to listen to. How tightly we hold on to hate shows how lightly Jesus' love has gripped us. He's going to say that in a big way. If you cannot love the brother that you can see with your own eyes, Please don't claim you can see God who is invisible. Here's a brother or sister in Christ that God gave you to love and you say this person is unlovable but you are able to love God. More of that later. So how tightly you hold on to lovelessness shows how lightly God's love has gripped us. And so I think, I don't know, one of my relatives and my sister sent this to me on a family chat, right? And I thought it was quite good. Who says we don't exercise? We exercise a lot. We jump to conclusions. We throw our gossip and our slander around. We twist the truth. We push our opinions. We stretch our suspicions. We build our accusations. We run to find allies. It's not bad, huh? You're exercising what? Quite a lot. Because you are jumping, you are throwing, you are twisting, you are pushing, you are stretching. You are absolutely fit as a sinner, but totally unfit as a saint. Is that what you spend your life doing? You have 
right, listed a whole list of reasons why you cannot love someone, why you will not love someone. It's a very dangerous thing to decide in your heart, right? To not carry on to love somebody. And this is what he's saying. If you obey as Jesus obeyed, you must love as Jesus loved. So the test of love, it never crossed their mind that their super, spiritual, super spirituality and their breakaway was actually unloving. Unloving. By hating a brother. So lessons on love, sin will often say to you, move on. Move on. Based on self, half-true knowledge. Subjective knowledge. But love will say to you, stay on, hold on, based on God's whole truth, objective knowledge. If you move on for the right reasons, it's okay. There's a di difference between moving on and moving forward. You may move on geographically to another church, but you never move on spiritually, emotionally and relationally. How often are you going to move on? So one of the sisters at the 9 a.m. service said, I've been, actually many of them said, I've been to many churches, as much as Pogi said here, right? So we moved and it's a great burden of heart. But she said, moved to many churches. And, and she said, now I really feel love and welcome. What do you think? I said, I hope this is your last church. Because <laughs> how many more churches are you going to move? If you find the right church that preaches the gospel, stay with it. Grow with it. Don't keep moving. If you have this attitude of moving on, soon it will start to infect your own heart, your own marriage, and your own family. If my marriage is not, moving, is not going great guns, I just move on. Move on. You move on. But you don't move forward at all. So sin says, under Satan, move on. Love says, stay on. So the character of the Antichrist Something is more important than loving Jesus and loving one another. So their knowledge, their disobedience and their self-will. And it's very important that we get this right. So we pull it all together because of time. I have to bring this to an end. All these things, what's he saying? Can you go with me to slide 24? Love in the world. We are led by desires of our flesh. We are led by the last of our eyes. We're led, uh, led by our pride in autonomy, the goodness of this self-made rule and redemption. Quite obviously, this knowledge and this superiority was not from God and cannot be permanent for their eternal life. This knowledge is not from God, he's saying to them. And this knowledge just actually feeds your flesh feeds your eyes that we are superior, we are elitist, and we have it and they don't have it. And John says, you mustn't ever take part in this. You mustn't ever have this kind of love. And so we are masters at weaponizing our desires, weaponizing our lust and our pride in life. And then we fight with each other when we cannot fulfill the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And when you go to war, my friends, right, have you ever been to a war cemetery? I highly encourage you to go. We don't have many here in Singapore. But if you ever go to America, if you ever go to Canada, if you ever go to Australia, there are many war cemeteries. When I was in America for my sabbatical about 20 years ago, I used to have my quiet time there, run through it. 
Why are these beautiful lawns? Who are these soldiers? Look at their names there. How young was he when he died? In a war fought on some foreign shores. What did he fight for? The history of warring, and this is a picture. Is it a daughter? Is it a wife? Is this a mother? What on earth did, was that war all about? Don't know. 50 years later, after you fight the Vietnam War, we are, we are making peace between Vietnam and America. I once sat with my daughter, and uh, we're sitting here and enjoying Japanese food, which, which we enjoy. I said, it's so strange, right? 70 years after World War II, right, we like Japanese food. Actually, we should have just offered each, other, each other's food. There's no need to fight wars, right? Sashimi is quite good, sushi is quite good. 70 years after the war, you ask yourself, what was that war all about? I have no idea. And only Jesus can end our endless warring. You believe that? And that is how his righteous life stands out. That his life is characterized by obedience, is characterized by love. His life is characterized by the rejection of the lust of this world and the lust of the eyes and the lust and, and the uh, pride of life. That's so important that we get this right. And what do you mean by this? I'm sharing that yesterday Midori and I we went out and we were just eating at spring leaf prata as we sat there, right? This father came in, young father, in sporting gear with his two young children. She was probably the older daughter, was six, seven years old, younger boy, maybe four or five years old, right? And she came in crying. I didn't see that, but my daughter spotted that. They sat down. Sour faces all around between father and the two young kids. Then the father was asking the younger boy, who had obviously said or did something to the, to the sister, say sorry. He just wouldn't. He just wouldn't. So dad said, okay, I'll still have to go and get the food. I'll go to get food, came back, like, ate the prata, etc. Just watched that. And finally the father persuaded him Go say sorry to sister. And he got up from his seat, sat beside her, because sister and father were sitting there. He was sitting opposite the father. And then reached out and gave her a hug. Then I saw the sister sob a little bit more when he did that. I roughly timed our time there. It was about 45 minutes to an hour. It took this young boy of four or five years, old, 45 minutes to an hour, to do what? To say sorry. And reconcile. You think that's easy? Joy, in the 9 a.m. service, said it took 33 years for her to be forgiven by her sister and to reconcile with her sister. Our lives are full of lovelessness, full of unforgiveness, full of warring with one another. And unless Jesus enters your life, I can bet my final dollar you will always be warring in your heart with somebody. It's not whether you do it, it's when and how badly. It can't be everybody out there is bad. It must be here, as Paul Tripp says, the war begins here. That I'm a war-making machine. It's not whether I pick a fight with you, it's when and how hard that is. And that's the important thing for us to realise. At the end of it, you ask yourself, how sure that you are God's family? In ending, ask yourself this question, 
we go to the final slide. That you confess your sinful nature and sinful actions. Did you obey his commands? Did you love as Jesus commanded us to love and love as he did? Did you not love the world? Did you not think of the, the simplest reason why you should move on? You should think of the, the highest reason why you should stay on and love and reconcile. And you're not seeking another anointing because you already have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The word is, remain in Jesus. Keep Jesus the main thing of your life. This is the test. It's the Christ test. It's the obedience test. It is the love test. It's not three tests. It's three sides of the same test. And that's the important thing for us to know and to pass. Let's stand and pray together. Sing our closing song. Lord, I offer my life to you. We thank you for speaking to us. We thank you for not leaving us to our own wisdom and knowledge, which is actually foolishness to you. To think that we could run our own lives, live our own way, without any repercussions with you and with others. We thank you for your word that reveals to us that the test of authenticity is not the absence of sin, but the confession of sin. And the reason we can confess sin is that you are faithful and just, that we have an advocate in Jesus Christ, the propitiation of our sins, our atoning sacrifice. Thank you and praise you, Lord Jesus Christ, that we don't have to deal with our sin our own way, hiding, denying, blaming, but confessing and receiving the free and full forgiveness, receiving a new beginning. And we ask and pray that by your Spirit you will teach us what it means to abide in you and remain in you, to be willing and quick to obey, to be willing and quick to love, to be willing and quick to reject the love of this world and in all these things, to be more and more certain that we are children of God, not children of the world, and even worse, children of the evil one. Please work in our hearts to bring us to true salvation. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.